And I think this is a wonderful account that has lots of lessons for us on several different levels. So let's uh, uh, dig in. I, I'm sure this is, this, this is one of those stories that everyone's familiar with, aren't they? It's a great uh, uh, Sunday school story, although we need to uh, uh, be a bit vague about some of the details. Um, but the story of Joseph is so well known. I mean, it's, it's in the Quran as well, isn't it? Those of you that grew up with the Quran, you, you will have uh, grown up with the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers at the age of 17. Uh, we're not told here how he felt, but don't mistake that for stoic bravado. In Genesis 42, his brothers would still remember 20 years after they'd done it, how upset he was and how he wept and pleaded for his life. That had clearly burned quite an impression on him to still be remembered so clearly 20 years later. And so we arrive at uh, chapter 39, at verse 1, with Joseph having been through this tremendous trauma and suffering abuse after abuse. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guards, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Uh, we keep being told that the Lord was with Joseph. We're told a whole load of times through this passage at the beginning and at the end. And frankly, we needed to be told, didn't we? We needed that information. God was with him and blessing him because at times it does not look that way, does it? You could take that section out and just as easily tell the story as one in which despite all the trials that the Lord hit him with, uh, you know, Joseph, every time he uh, crawled his way out of the gutter he'd been thrown to, through hard work and talent, the Lord just thrashed him back down again. And you think, oh, you, you, know, you could keep everything else the same, couldn't you? But the Lord was with him, and the Lord was blessing him. The Lord had a plan for his life. And even though it might not have felt like it each day, he was in Potiphar's service each day, he was in that prison, the Lord was with him. Maybe there's something in your life at the moment that it feels like everything has gone wrong with you and you're, in your mind you're thinking, okay, I thought God loved me. Maybe he used to and now he's grown sick of me and he has departed from me and that's why all these things have happened. Look at the life of Joseph. He is with him. He is blessing him. He is preparing him. He has a purpose for him, even as he is enslaved, and even as he is falsely accused and thrown into prison. Do you know what? What the contents of your day look like are not a good yardstick for how God loves you and how he is blessing you. Everything had gone wrong for Joseph, but he trusts God. Uh, he's trusting in the promises that God made to his great-grandpa Abraham, his granddad Isaac, his dad Jacob. He's trusting in the promises that God made to him uh, 
in the dreams that he had in chapter 37. He was promised that one day his father and brothers would bow down and honour him. And that's definitely not happened so far. So he knows that's to come. And so he settled down to doing his best in the deeply unjust circumstances that he finds himself in. He settles himself to doing everything to the glory of God, and he does it well, doesn't he? Have a look at verse 6. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hands, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Just imagine the level of confidence you need to have on some foreign slave that you treat him this way. You know, so uh, they come to Potiphar. Uh, you know, Potiphar, do we need to take on extra cooks in the, in the kitchen? And he says, I don't know, ask Joseph. And he says, okay, uh, Potiphar, your investments, uh, how do you want us to uh, invest your pension fund? Or your, how, how do you want us to look after your flocks? No idea. Ask Joseph. Uh, Joseph, do, do, we need, uh, do we need to redecorate the, uh, the outside of the house? Not a clue. Ask Joseph. Uh, Potiphar, do, do, you want, uh, do you want steak for tea? Suddenly, oh yeah, yeah, the food I eat, that's the only thing I've got an opinion on. I, I'll tell you what I want for dinner. Apart from that, ask Joseph. He, he doesn't know what's in his bank account. He's not even looked at his bank statements. He's not looked to see how his pension plan is doing. He doesn't know. It's in Joseph's hands. He has no need to worry about any of it. Can you imagine having been kidnapped and forced into slavery, and yet here is someone who is that level of trustworthy? It's not natural, is it? He's doing what he's doing to the glory of God. The situation he's found himself in, he's doing everything to God's glory. Do you know, maybe the job that you're in is not the job you would have chosen, and maybe your, your lecturer at uni or your teacher at school doesn't understand you and is being unfair or whatever it is. Whatever your hand finds to do, wherever God has put you now, do it with all your strength to the glory of God. And then temptation comes. Uh, have a look at uh, uh, the second half of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. Now just imagine things from Joseph's point of view. We're not sure what age he is at this point. He entered Potiphar's service, age 17. We assume he didn't enter into this position of complete authority over his household in the first month of his employment. So that presumably there's been a number of years... But so he's probably, uh, we know that he entered Pharaoh's service uh, age 30. So he's somewhere in his 20s at this point, uh, probably in his early to mid-20s. He is a single man. In terms of his hormones, he is at the height of his sex drive. And also to turn down this woman was very, very costly as we'll see, if he had any judge of character, which we think he probably did, he shows himself to be an extremely wise man, doesn't he? He must have had some kind of inkling of that. 
He is miles from his family. Miles from the worship of God. He is in a foreign culture that has treated him poorly, to which, frankly, he owes nothing. He has been enslaved by Potiphar. Would he not feel some glee at getting secret revenge on him? How does he resist? Well, let's think about this, because surely this is relevant. I mean, I, I, I don't know anything to the contrary about any of you, but the statistics that we read about the usage of the internet suggest some vast proportion of it is taken up with pornography. Uh, apparently in America, the uh, more money is spent on the pornography and the sex industry than baseball, American football, uh, basketball, and hockey combined. Okay, this so, privately, of course. And so there's a lot of people uh, not resisting lust. There's a lot of people battling with this, and, and presumably that's plenty of us here as well. That Actually, that's either something you battle with or something you fail at. But even if it's not that, there'll be something, some temptation, some besetting sin that is a thorn in your flesh or that you are battling with. And whatever it is, let's have a look at this because everything was stacked against him, wasn't it? Everything suggested that his motives would be in terms of just giving in to Potiphar's wife. And yet he resisted. So let's see what's going on here. First thing, he reviews his situation with thanksgiving. Isn't that a precious thing? Uh, So have a look at verses 8 and 9. He refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master doesn't know what is, what is with me in the house, and he, is, he has committed all that he has to my hands. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. He's telling her this, presumably not because she doesn't know. Presumably she's well aware of his job description. What's he doing? He's listing the blessings he's received for the sake of thanksgiving, isn't he? He's giving thanks to God and reminding himself of uh, how he's been blessed. When you're tempted, do you talk to yourself? You don't have to do it out loud. It seems a bit odd then, doesn't it? But do you talk to yourself? People talk about it as if it's a, a sign of madness, and yet the Bible holds it up as a way of staying sane. It happens a lot in the Bible. You, you read through the Psalms. Um, how about uh, Psalm 103, verse 1? Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Uh, there he is. Uh, he goes on to list his blessings. How about uh, Psalm 105? Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face. Always, 
Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. Uh, Calling to our own soul, calling to each other. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Keep it in mind and get excited about it because Thanksgiving is a guard against temptation. Can I challenge us? When we sing the next hymn, okay, why do you think we're singing? Is it just because that's what we always do and that's the point in the service? Okay, remember what we're doing. We're giving thanks to God for the sake of our own soul. But we're also seeking to spur one another on in our singing, aren't we? To encourage one another. And if we just drone to one another, that doesn't work, does it? Let's actively think, okay, how can I use my voice in this company to encourage others? And do you know what, what encourages other people? It's not necessarily the best tune, okay? If, somebody, if you can sing well, that's a beautiful thing, and it does lift people's hearts. But do you know what? If you can sing loudly and enthusiastically, okay, that lifts people. Okay? You, you, watch, you, know, you watch TV and you watch the cop singing You'll Never Walk Alone. It's not their great tunefulness that lifts their team, is it? It's the passion with which they sing. Review your situation with thanksgiving. Speak to yourself. Remind yourself how good God has been to you. Think about your life, your past sin, God's patience with you in the past, and the way he's provided for you every day till now. Remind yourself what God has given you in the gospel, who Christ Jesus is, and his promise that he is with you. He will never leave you and forsake you, which means he is right with you in that room, there with you by his spirits. He is ever-present. Remember and give thanks for what he has called you to. The good works that he's called you to do. Maybe the good things that he's done through you in the past. The way he has blessed others. Then think about the temptation. And ask yourself, verse 10. Um, sorry, it's not verse 10, is it? Ask yourself, uh, end of verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, it was all geared up. You thought, after listing all the ways in which Potiphar had trusted things to Joseph, you thought, how how will I do this great wickedness against Potiphar? It's good to bring to mind the social effects of our sin, the people that we're letting down, the people it will negatively impact. But ultimately, to sin against God. He's far from his family, far from the worship of God, but he knows that God is with him. Romans 1 tells us that it is our failure to give thanks like this that is behind our most stupid mistakes. So Romans 1 verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Do you remember? It's uh, Psalm 14, isn't it? You know when you are foolish? When you do something really foolish, do you know why that is? Because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. At that moment, when you're being utterly stupid, you are saying to yourself, ah, he's probably not watching. He's 
Uh, you probably won't hold me accountable to this. Uh, maybe maybe uh, we live as if he's not there. How foolish. And ultimately, verse 10, he just says no. Uh, verse 10, so it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or be with her. Um, uh, he's, he not only said no uh, and refused to sin, he avoided the opportunity to sin as much as he could. He avoided being alone with her. When is it that you sin? That besetting sin that you've got, presumably as you look b- back over your life, you can see a pattern, you can see times, maybe there's certain company that you're with, that you're led into that horrible conversation. Maybe there's a certain type, maybe it's when you're alone, maybe it's uh, uh, when you're away on business, whatever it is, whatever your sin is, what, what, maybe, maybe it's certain times in life in the run-up to Christmas and you're feeling strapped for cash and you think, oh, well, maybe if I just fiddle the taxes or I fiddle this in, in such a way. When do you sin? There are certain situations maybe, where you feel powerless to overcome. Do you know, some of fighting sin is just being practical, isn't it? Just managing our time wisely. Avoid those situations, even if it involves making sacrifices. And ultimately, he flees, doesn't he? He runs. Sounds, looks so childish, doesn't it? He kind of, she grabs his, his coat, he pulls it off, and he runs off. How, how weak, how pathetic... Notice how they uh, mock Christians very often who, who uh, don't want to be uh, alone with certain people just for fear of temptation. Uh, verse 12, uh, sorry, verse 11 as well, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was in sight that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Fleeing can be costly, can't it? So I've got a friend who swapped jobs because he thought, I cannot be alone with that girl in the office. I know things are heading in a bad direction. It wasn't a wise career move. It was a brilliant move for his faith and for his marriage. Sometimes it is the bravest thing to do. Um, he could have maybe wrestled his cloak back from her. Presumably he was bigger, than strong, bigger and stronger than her. But it might have hurt her. It would have delayed him in her, her presence. Presumably there was some level at which giving in to her was attractive to him. The Bible says, uh, so 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his body. That's verse 18. Flee it, he says. Actually, the, the, the uh, picture of a wise, godly person, uh, as it relates to sexual immorality, is not to be there and show how strong they are to withstand sexual temptation. Actually, it is getting out of that situation, removing yourself from that situation where you are weak. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. 
He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can be bear, what, what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. And I, I, I heard that quoted, stopping there. Oh, it's mysterious. What's this way out? What's this? Maybe there's something, something uh, mysterious, this escape route from it. But the answer is the very next verse, verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Flee, he says. One more. 1, Corinthians, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. Uh, it's not all about sex, is it? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Can you imagine how Joseph must have felt? He's fled now out into the fields, into the garden, wherever it was, not going back inside the house, and yet knowing that sooner or later Potiphar's going to come home. And at that point, she's going to say what she's been saying to the other servants. You imagine the, the agony of waiting, the dilemma. Does he go back in and try and plead with her, try and get his clothing back, maybe snatch it, maybe go and remonstrate with the other servants and try and explain his point? Just think about what he'd lost as she made those false accusations against him. His, he'd already lost his freedom, his family, and now he's going to lo- lose his home in exile, his job that was going so well. He's going to lose his relationship with Potiphar, his reputation and his witness. That would be awful, wouldn't it? If you'd spent years building up a good reputation in your workplace, and then this false allegation is going to slander it all. He's gone from being his dad's favourite to being totally isolated in a foreign land, a slave with no rights, headed for prison as a rapist, despite not having done anything wrong at all. How do you pick yourself up after all that? How can you be so lost and so empty and keep going? Well, Joseph continues to trust. Look at uh, 20, uh, the end of verse 20. Um. Oh, let's read the whole of verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. He gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison didn't look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Isn't that beauty? That beautiful, the symmetry between the two situations. Serving in Potiphar's house, uh, having been made a slave, serving in the prison, having been made a prisoner. Again, he goes to trusting the Lord, trusting the promises made, serving him to the best of his ability and seeing the Lord bless him and prosper him. 
You see, this is the triumph of Joseph. Not that he was vindicated in the end, but there, right in the middle of the pain and the trial, and the false allegations, he carried on trusting God. God was still with him. God was still blessing him. Do you know what? This is, this is what the Christian life is about, isn't it? Um, think of uh, Romans 8. And it lists all those great trials, uh, you know, considered as sheep to be slaughtered, uh, uh, facing persecution. All these trials are hunger, nakedness, and swords. Uh, and then it, it, just afterwards it says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. I think that's it's such a powerful word, isn't it? In, in all these things. Not despite all these things, not after all these things. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Uh, a number of you were praying uh, two years ago for um, uh, a woman in, in my church called, uh, called Abby. Um, I, I know some, some, someone, here is, someone here is related to her. Uh, but uh, three weeks after she had her second child, uh, so she had a one-year-old and a three-week-old, uh, she suffered a, a, two big strokes. And uh, the... Uh, the prognosis at the time was very bad indeed. They, they said she may not last the night. She told her husband to prepare for the worst. The, the doctors told her husband to prepare for the worst, uh, that when she wakes up after the operation, she may not recognise him. Uh, she may, uh, if she walks again, she'll have to relearn it. She may not remember how to speak. And, uh, and I can remember um, sitting at her bedside, in, in Bristol after the operation when they didn't know what the results of this operation were, reading Romans 8 uh, because her husband said it was her favourite chapter. And we're reading it through. We get to that point. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. I struggled, really struggled to hold it together. It seemed like such a cheek to say it to them. But it's true, isn't it? It's in the trials. As God is with us, as God has his purpose for us, as God is making his glory shine in us, as he is showing the world something of his suffering saviour through his suffering people. This is the triumph of Joseph, right in the pain and the trial. Uh, and on he went to serve and we, we know what happens later. He was lifted up, he was raised, uh, he was given authority. But how does all this apply to us? Now, we might say, be like Joseph, work hard, endure when you suffer, keep your hands off your boss's wife, and all of that is good advice. Okay? The application we're going to make is not less than that. Do all those things, that is good, but it's not the gospel. And if that's what you take away from this, Work hard no matter what. Resist temptation. Uh, just do it. Actually, that will be death to your joy. <laughs> that will just be a gr just grinding hardship. Even if you are successful, that's not what a Christian is. Even if you are successful, what that will leave you with is just a, a pride that you've done it. A feeling of superiority over those that haven't. But this, uh, uh, 
But that is not how we're saved, and it's not the main message of this passage. So who represents you and I in this passage? Okay, It's not Joseph. The message of, this, of the story of Joseph is not be like Joseph. No, the, what are the people of God doing in this passage? Well, most of them, they're back in Canaan, uh, going about their lives, unrepentant and sinful. This chapter is part of a larger story of God saving his people in the days of Jacob. And this is the story of Joseph and his brothers, how God sent Joseph ahead of them into Egypt. So chapter 46 gives a list of all of the people that moved to Egypt with Jacob when Joseph had become prime minister of Egypt. And uh, you... You know, it's boring for us, isn't it? It's a, a list of 70 names of uh, people that uh, moved to Egypt. And you think, okay, what's this here for? But think about who the first readers of this account were. In the time of Moses, in the wilderness, reading this story. How, how would you read it? Surely chapter 46 is anything but boring. Like, if you find a photo, a school photo of your grandpa... What do you do, first of all? You look for his face, don't you? You say, ah, oh, yeah, that's... There, if you're like, there I am before I was even born. There's, there's the one from whom I was descended from. There he was, you know, third row, second from the, the right. And surely that's how the Israelites would have read that chapter as well. Ah, oh, there I am. There I am. My ancestor, being saved from the famine being rescued uh, through God's chosen saviour before I was even born. The, the, the well-beloved son who was rejected by his own, who was sold for silver, who found himself as a slave and humbled himself and served, made himself nothing, whom God blessed and raised to the highest place so that he could be the saviour of his people that, and, and a blessing to all the nations. That's what the story of Joseph is, isn't it? Here is the story of how God saves. This is a, a picture, a signpost, pointing very brightly to Jesus, isn't it? He was hated for doing good. His reign was prophesied by God, but his own didn't receive him. Um, he was handed over to the Gentiles. He was falsely accused. Uh, he began his ministry aged 30. He brought his people to repentance. He saved and forgave God's guilty people. He brought his people to the home he had prepared for them and sustained them on the journey. He reigned over many nations, blessed them and saved them. Joseph's life tells us how God saves his people through a rejected, tempted, suffering saviour who lived his life not by what he saw, but by trusting in God's promise to him. He knew his father's love and the prophecies made about him, which enabled him to withstand temptation. So we're not meant to re uh, read this story as a how-to manual, okay? Uh, this isn't saying, okay, this is what you've got to do next. Okay, we can, we can use that that way, but only secondary, in a secondary way. 
Okay, if you're a cricket fan, I imagine this week you've been onto YouTube to have a look at uh, the highlights of uh, England against New Zealand. And watch how you won the World Cup. Your representatives, the people who carry the name of your nation, the England and Wales Cricket Board, we, we're going to claim that okay, here in Wales, the, the England and Wales cr Cricket Board, uh, our players, our representatives winning the victory for us. That's what's going on here, isn't it? This isn't the how-to guides. This is the highlights reel of the victory that we get to celebrate. Here's the victory that saved God's people. Uh, this and, and the temptations of Christ in, in uh, Luke and Matthew as well. The same way we, we read that, not as a how-to guide, but here is our champion, our saviour, doing what was necessary to be qualified to rescue his people. So the people of Israel in the wilderness, they would have read this and seen, ah, here's our champion. He resisted here so he could serve God later, uh, so he could serve God by saving us, his guilty people. This is how we read this. Um, what God has done, he did through Christ. Christ came and lived a righteous life. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. So he can sympathise with us. But do you know what? No matter how hard you try to resist temptation, you'll fail. That's the bottom line. Think about it. Or you've already failed. Even if you're perfect from now on, you've failed. You can't atone for what you've done. There's nothing that you can. Also, God's standard is to love him with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. And there's not a day that we don't go further into debt. We cannot save ourselves. We need a saviour. We need a champion who has come and he's been righteous, who has done everything rightly, perfectly, and we need him to be our rescuer. That's what he's done. That's what Jesus has done. We look at him and we say, look, I can see I failed. Look, look what you're doing, how you're resisting temptation. Actually, I haven't managed to do it the way you have done it perfectly. I fail every day, but there is a champion. There is someone who is worthy, and he invites us to come and be rescued and be welcomed into the promised land that he's prepared. There's, uh, one, of the, one of the many blessings of having little kids is uh, some of the Christian songs that you can hear. There's uh, a wonderful guy called Colin Buchanan. Those of you with little kids, I'm sure will have come across. I'm sure the CDs are next door in the bookshop, so have a look. Uh, there's uh, one that's all about the temptations of Christ. And it's, it's great, brilliant theology in it. It's all set to uh, uh, bouncy music. And uh, uh, about he, all about him being our righteousness. And then there's a refrain at the end that finishes it. And it's wonderful. It's like a football chant. Ole, 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 ole. Satan didn't win. Jesus didn't sin. And it's, it's as if all God's people can sing out. He's done it. He's our champion. He's won the victory for us. He is our saviour. Look. Whatever your besetting sin, whatever your temptation, whatever your failure, I know it's there, I don't know the details and you don't need to tell me. But it's condemning. 
It's overwhelming. It's too much for any of us. You cannot atone for it. How would you start? What can you give God that he doesn't already have, that he needs, that you can barter in exchange for your sin? It's nothing. But Jesus sent, a, but God sent a saviour. The one that we rejected, the one who is perfect, who resisted all temptation, and now he commands you to come, to trust him, to repent of your sin, to follow him. And then once you have been forgiven, once you know that it's not because of anything that you have done or ever will do, then in that position of humility, receiving his grace, we can follow him and make genuine progress in sanctification. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, Joseph didn't sin so that he could carry on serving you, so that you would use him in raising him to the highest place. Use him for your plans for saving your people and keeping your promises. And Heavenly Father, we Thank you that you have sent a saviour. Lord, we thank you that uh, Joseph is just a, uh, just a, a, a signpost for us. Godly man though he is, he's, he's nothing as good as Jesus. We thank you that uh, Jesus came not just to save his own family, but people from every tribe and tongue. Uh, people like us sitting here in this room. Lord, we... Uh, we were reminded this morning there's no other way into the kingdom of heaven. There's no other way into your good books, nor could there ever be. Lord, you sent the Lord Jesus to be our saviour and champion. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we would not think that uh, we could ever stand before you through sheer grit and determination. But Lord, by dis- Lord that we'd see that we need to despair of our ourselves, all our good works, all our bad works, to pile them all on the Lord Jesus at the cross as he commands us to do and stand before you humbly as forgiven sinners. Lord, we pray for those here that we're hoping that they might be rather good. Lord, take away such idle notions. Lord, we pray for those here that thought that they were beyond hope Lord, would they see how great Jesus is? They'd throw that idea away too. They'd trust him and see that actually, with him as our champion, we're we're fine. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, as uh, believers, Lord, that we would see what Jesus has achieved, see his great victory, and we would uh, grow as we we follow what he's done. We would look to imitate him in all things, that we would want to uh, uh, see that he is also an example and that we would grow in that humble sanctification that knows that we have a saviour and that is why we follow him. Bless us, Lord, we pray, whatever our situation is, whatever the temptation we're battling with, for Jesus' name's sake.